Welcome to the New England Football Show. I'm John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, my compadre, Kevin Stone. And tonight we have a new compadre uh, joining us for the first time as a newest member um, to the New England Football Journal team, if you will, uh, Zach Carey. Gentlemen, how are you tonight? Doing good, Zach. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. Ready to talk some football. Yeah, no, Zach, I want to say thank you for, uh, first of all, for taking the time tonight to join us, but also for coming on board. Zach and I got an opportunity to uh, coach together uh, this past fall two season at King Philip. We also worked together, and uh, Zach is a passionate, passionate football guy. I think he's going to fit in just right with us. Um, he, has a, he has a passion for the X's and O's, and, and, and we love – sharing our X's and O's and our knowledge of the game with you guys. So I think Zach's going to fit right in in regards to that. All right, let's just jump right into it. I want to talk about this Tim Tebow thing because I think it's ridiculous. I'm going to wait. I'm going to get your take first. And I know, Zach, you've been chomping at the bit to talk about this today. You've had, you shared your views earlier today on Twitter. <clears throat> Zach, I'm going to start with you and then, Kevin, your thoughts on Tim Tebow at the age of 33 making a comeback in the NFL. He's going to be signing a one-year deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Zach, your thoughts? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I told you earlier today, I, I forget what I put on Twitter. I think I called it a joke or, or, or something like that. So if you're if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, right, you're, you're looking to, to turn around your image. And, and as a Jets fan, of course, I know about joke franchises, poverty franchises, whatever you want to call them. But you're trying you're to turn around player. your image, right? You're, yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to turn around your image. You're trying to rebrand. You got the new quarterback. You got the generational prospect. And you're putting weapons around them. And, you you know, you have a, a pretty good draft overall. I think a lot of people would say, you know, they had so many picks that it was hard not to. Um, and then, you know, the rumors start swirling. And you have Urban Meyer there, which is another kind of factor of polarization. Not that I don't think Urban Meyer is a good coach. Obviously, you know, he's had a lot of success and, and, and he, you know, for years and years. But – Again, he's polarizing. People love him. People hate him. He's bringing in people that bringing in coaches that some people don't like. And then this Tebow, the Tebow rumors swirl and swirl and swirl. And I, I recall back to when when I was young and I was getting into football, uh, the New York Jets of, of 2009, 2010 and 11 um, going AFC championships, beating the Patriots in the playoffs. I, I, I might add. Thank you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> And I'm thinking back to that time when when Tebow got traded to the Jets after Mark Sanchez, you know, had his struggles. And and I was the never never the biggest Sanchez fan, but that was the turning point for the Rex Ryan era, the Mark Sanchez era. And Sanchez wasn't the answer. I mean, he was a game manager. He was good enough for a while. Then Tebow comes in. Sanchez struggles. Not that I think Trevor Lawrence and, and Sanchez are comparable or anything like that. But when you're trying to create stability, you're trying to create a situation for a young quarterback in Trevor Lawrence who's got the pressure of the world on his shoulders, bring in Tim Tebow, bring in something that you know is going to increase the media presence, increase the polarization of your team, just seems like something that's unnecessary. Is he going to make the roster? I don't know. Some people are saying no, but then again, what's the point of bringing him in? Does he Urban Meyer owe him a favor? And again, I know they have a connection, but to me it's just it's useless. It's a position he's never played. He's been out of the game for almost, what, 10 years now. Hasn't played. I think, John, you shared something on Twitter of, of the, the league MVP was Adrian Peterson the last time he was yeah. – it just kind of – Last time he played in a regular season game was 2012. It's <laughs> just – it's just insane. Ago, which is crazy. It's just insane to me that, that you know, number one, he was never a, a much of a quarterback to begin with, and now he's playing a different position when he's been away from the sport. He's been playing minor league baseball. To me, it's a, to me it's a joke, and to me it's something kind of – added on top of the circus that that 
is the Jacksonville Jaguars and unnecessary for a young quarterback coming in with a lot of pressure anyways. Stone? Yeah, Zach, I think you hit on it. It's For me, it's nothing more than Urban Meyer doing a guy a favor. Um, just to kind of, you know, I guess revamp his um, his brand and his name, I guess. But um, I don't think he makes the roster. And if he does, maybe he's in, you know, a few goal line packages or something like that. But um, for me, it's nothing more than a guy doing a favor, and that's it. Yeah, I, I think you guys both make good points. But but I think that it, it's to, – to me, I don't know if it's that he, that he owes him a favor or anything. I think he's doing him a favor is yeah. more like it. I think he's giving him an opportunity to get that one last shot at playing uh, professional sports in essence, and he's going to give the NFL one more shot. I agree with Zach. I, I don't see the fit. I don't see why you're going to waste snaps on a guy in camp that isn't going to help you realistically. A 33-year-old converted quarterback playing tight end, he's not really a traditional tight end. He's going to be more of a move tight end, a you, as we say in football. You know, why are you going to waste reps on a guy like that when you can bring in three or four young tight ends that aren't already in your roster with the 90-man roster and give them some reps and see if you can find a guy there? So from that standpoint, I don't get it. Uh, the other thing I don't get is if you're Tim Tebow, why can't you let it go? Move on. It's over. Go go to ESPN, do your, your cushy SEC gig, and, and make your seven figures because he's Tim Tebow. You know he's making big money there. Make your seven figures. Enjoy life, and that's it. Move on. You, you know what? You, you gave it a shot. You played a handful of years in the NFL. You played with three different teams. You tried minor league baseball. It's time to hang it up and move on. As I mentioned earlier, the guy has not played in a regular season game since 2012. It's been nine years. And now all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, you're going to sign this guy as a, as a tight end slash H-back or however you want to phrase it, and you think he's going to make your team and contribute? I, I, it makes zero sense to me. It, there is a certain element of a publicity stunt here to me. I, I think that you can't, if you're the Jaguars, and I know they worked him out, but you can't possibly think that he can help your football team. And I know that they're going to say the complete opposite. They're going to say all the right things he can, and Urban knows what he is. And to Kevin's point, they might use him as a direct snap quarterback in certain short, short yardage and goal line packages. But at the end of the day, I, I this to me reeks of a publicity stunt. I think it's a waste of time. I think it's a waste of the media's time. I think it's a waste of the organization's time. And I think ultimately he doesn't make the team. I would be shocked because here's the other thing. If he makes this team, he probably makes it as a third tight end, which means he's going to play special teams. Is Tim Tebow going to be enough of a team player to play special teams for the Jacksonville Jaguars? I'll believe it when I see it. I don't see it now. Now, one of the bigger stories around here last week was, of course, post-draft, was Mac Jones being drafted at pick 15 by the New England Patriots. And I thought it was interesting. Daniel Jeremiah, who I like a lot, have a lot of respect for, NFL draft analyst for the NFL Network, said on the Pat McAfee show that he felt that the Patriots should have traded up to go get Mac Jones. And if they really liked Mac Jones, they would have traded up to go get him. I don't understand the logic in that for two reasons. One, why would you trade up to go get him when he was coming to you? And two, picks are gold the next two years. Because the, the belief is you're going to have a larger group of players to pick from next year. You're going to have a combine. Things will be back to normal. I put that in parentheses because I don't believe things are going to get back to normal anytime soon because it's some kind of a, of a cabal designed to keep us suppressed and reliant on the government, but that's a whole other conversation. And no, I don't wear tin hats. But 
as I was saying, why would the Patriots give up future compensation to go up and get Mac Jones when he was coming to them? I didn't understand that. What are you what are your thoughts on that, Kevin, starting with you? So we touched on this last week, actually, and <laughs> excuse me. I had asked you, you know, him dropping. Did that kind of, you know, affect how you thought about it? And you said no. And I still think that they didn't necessarily want him there. Um, but once he fell, they felt like they didn't have a choice. And I still feel that way. Um, yeah, I, I don't understand why you feel that way, though. Why would you take a player you don't want? What? I, I don't think if you're the New England Patriots and you're Bill Belichick <laughs> – Bill Belichick, and this, and I'm going to give you a chance to clear your throat here. Bill Belichick Thank you. is not <laughs> I'm, I'm not kind of a guy, Stone. But Belichick is not the kind of guy. He is probably the last guy in this league who's going to bow to, to fan pressure or media pressure and take the quarterback. I think we can all agree with that. I don't think he's the guy that's going to do that. So this idea that, that somehow he felt pressured and compelled to take Mac Jones – I don't buy that, man. I don't. I really, truly believe, and maybe I'm naive, but I really, truly believe he was their guy there. Zach, what do you think? <clears throat> yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with your point. Like, first of all, Belichick, and and there was so much talk leading up to the draft about is he going to draft a quarterback? You know, things with, with Garoppolo. Is he going to try and make a deal for Garoppolo? That there were a lot of different things in the air. And I think that if you remember back a couple months, and a lot of people made a comment like this, if you were keeping up with mock drafts and projections, Mac Jones at the start of the whole cycle was going to the Patriots at 15, right? It, it, the rumors started churning up Mac Jones at three or Mac Jones at five or Mac Jones at, at the, in the top 10 closer and closer to the draft. And in hindsight, maybe that was just talk. Maybe it was just smoke. I personally think the 49ers probably were considering it because I, I do think there's some merit to, to him working in Shanahan's offense, but I don't think Belichick takes a quarterback that he doesn't like. Like you said, I think he has the conviction and I think he's stubborn enough as well to say, you know what, like you said, fan pressure, he doesn't care, right? He'll roll with Cam Newton for another two years just to just to just to spite people. And and to the trade up point, I never I didn't hear Jeremiah uh, uh, say that. I know you said he, he made a comment like that. I like Daniel Jeremiah most of the time, but I, I disagree with that as well, because if it's a guy like Justin Fields, right, say say the Patriots have Justin Fields ranked significantly higher than, than Mac Jones, right, then maybe you could make a case, OK, we got to jump before the Bears do or before Washington does or something like that. But when Mac Jones is tumbling down the board and you're looking ahead of you, and at the time they had the Vikings, Eagles, who were rumored maybe to be in the quarterback market, the Cowboys, the Chargers, and the and uh, the Jets ended up trading up ahead of the Vikings. But you know they're not going to take a quarterback, right? And, you know, I, I don't think that in hindsight it makes sense to say if they liked him, they would have traded up for him because – well, in hindsight, they didn't need to, right? So, so I'm just not sure where. Uh, and and again, I think Jeremiah might just be, you know, drumming up something to drum it up and pretend like there's something going on in, in Foxborough because people like to do that because they, you know, they like to think trouble in paradise and and to stir the pot in, in somewhere like New England when it's really kind of just like they're going through the process. Mac Jones is the guy. He falls, and and I don't know what they thought about the other quarterbacks, but a guy like Mac Jones to me screams Belichick. Not only because of the Brady comparisons, which I I, I resent a little bit, but but because it's a saving guy, it's an Alabama guy, it's a tall, you know, pocket passer who can sit back there and make the throws, a listener, a kid who's very heady, right, really smart quarterback. So I think it, I just think that pairing made sense, and it made sense from the beginning 
And then mock draft season, the offseason in general, people just need something to talk about. They need Mac Jones to maybe be going number three to the 49ers. They need, you know, Belichick to, to she should have traded up. I just think it's it's mostly talk. And I think that, that Mac Jones ended up somewhere that he was kind of supposed to be or had a really good fit in the first place. So I don't really get that sentiment either. Um, I'm not not really sure what, what Jeremiah is trying to say there. Now, Kevin, I, I have to ask, like, what makes you think that they didn't want him, though? Like, Do you think there was another player there that they preferred and they yeah. were gone, like an Elijah Vera Tucker, so they he was playing B? Like, what makes you think that they didn't want him and they felt pressured, per se? I'm not saying you're saying that, yeah. but the implication is that they felt a certain level of pressure to take him. So it's funny. I know we're going to get to it next, I think, but for me, I still think Jimmy G was playing A. Um, and you hear that there's, you know, a lot of talk about what they were talking to him and, and they really thought they had him. So, uh, and again, I, I mentioned this last week as well. I think if Parsons or Collins is there, they would have gone defense first. Well, and, Collins was there and they passed on him. Okay. So, but that, that's right. So Parsons, sorry. Um, I, I do think they would have gone Parsons, but um, again, for me, I still think Jimmy G was plan A. Mostly I hate the term Jimmy G, by the way. Can we just call him Garoppolo? I sure. feel like that's so kindergarten. <laughs> Jimmy G. <laughs> um, Can we yeah, just so, call him Garoppolo? So for me, I, I just think that that was plan A. Um, don't get me wrong. I like the Mac Jones pick, and I actually think he's a cocky SOB. I mean, you can tell, A, the way he walked out, and then just listening to him talk a little bit. He walked <laughs> out like a middle school principal. I wouldn't consider that that strut. <laughs> Swaggish. It was like PC principal in South Park. Um, yeah, but he's like twenty three, going on forty three. <laughs> no, so I, I like the pick, and I think he's gonna fit well here. But I honestly think that Garoppolo was that that plan A, um, and then Belichick once he saw, you know, once he saw the position he's in, well, at that point you have to take a quarterback. And again, I know we've discussed Belichick is not a guy to to answer the pressure, but at that point. He's got to take him. Again, I just don't buy that. I think they liked Mac Jones a lot more than you and other people think. And I never – and we'll get into Garoppolo in a sec. I never bought into Garoppolo. I don't think Garoppolo was – I think that they tested the waters, but I don't think that they were sold on bringing back Garoppolo. And I don't think – and personally, I've said this now for the last few weeks, I wouldn't have either, not with his injury history, not with what it was going to cost you to pay him, even – there was rumors that they were trying to restructure him at $17 million a year. I don't think Garoppolo's worth $10 million a year, let alone 17 or 25 I thought that that contract which San Francisco gave it to him was completely outrageous. I didn't think he was worth that contract at all. I didn't think he had proven enough, in my opinion, to, to merit that kind of a contract. So I'm glad that didn't work out. And we can, we're going to get into that in a sec. But uh, this idea that he wasn't their guy, I don't buy it. Belichick will never draft a player – that the fans or the media thinks he should draft. He doesn't operate that way. He never has. He never will. Which brings us to the next question. Do you believe the Patriots actually had a deal with Jimmy Brittle, as I call him, uh, a.k.a. Jimmy Garoppolo? Zach, do you think that they actually had a deal with Jimmy Brittle? I mean, I, I definitely think they tested the waters, like you said. I don't know if it was a deal. And and to be honest, to kind of flip this on its head, if I'm the, if I'm the 49ers, I know they traded up to get a quarterback and they ended up with Lance, who – I don't know if I would have picked Lance, but again, I, I'm, I'm not a GM. That's why I don't get paid to be a GM. But I think if I'm the if I'm the San Francisco 49ers, I'm not 
dishing out Jimmy G unless I'm getting some some premium draft picks or some a premium player plus some picks or something like that. So I think that Bill probably tested the waters, but I think once he saw the price or once he went up, you know, with Lynch and Shanahan and they said, hey, here's what we're looking for, I think he probably shut the door. I mean, I and like you said, the, those future draft picks and draft capital this year, plus acquiring Jimmy G, you're now shut, shedding young talent or potential young talent for a guy, like you said, who might not be available, who it's going to be Jimmy and it's going to be Cam, right? So Jimmy comes in, obviously knows the system, knows, you know, knows the terminology, but I think if I'm the 49ers, I, I'm really, really shooting high for a price. And at the end of the day, Belichick's not the guy to get to get to bite on something like that. So I don't think there was a deal in place. I definitely think they, they probably tested the waters because I would too. I like Jimmy G personally. I don't think he's a stud. I don't think he's a, a top elite quarterback, but I think he's a type of type of quarterback if he stays healthy, which is a big if, right? That's the that's the big one. If he stays healthy, he can operate within an offense. I think he could take you the distance, obviously can take you the distance to a Super Bowl because um, he did, but I think that he's the type of guy that Belichick really, really loves and obviously uh, had a relationship before and wanted wanted him to come back to the team enough to test the waters. I wouldn't say they had a deal in place, but I'm, I'm from the 49ers perspective, I'm not doing anything dealing Jimmy G unless it's a, a premium, premium price. And if I'm Bill, obviously I, I, or in from Bill's perspective, he's not doing something like that. That, that, that's at least how I yeah. see it. No, I, I, I agree. And I, and I do want to be clear. They were negotiating with him yeah. and supposedly they had offered him a one year deal at, I believe it was 17 million was the number. Obviously, he's not going to waive his no-trade clause to come here for less money. He's not going right. to do that. There's no incentive for him to do that. He could stay in San Francisco, play mentor to Trey Lance, and make $25 million as the bridge starter. So, so I, I didn't I didn't buy that. Stone, I'm going to give you a chance to play the violin here because I know how badly you want it. Give me D to come to New England. Uh, some final thoughts on Garoppolo here. I'm gonna. This is the last time I want to talk about this guy, so I'm gonna give you the floor here before I commence shitting on him. The, the last time till September, um, but no, look, I don't think he's elite either. My whole thing the entire time, as you know, has been I would rather start, you know, not start from square one either with Cam again or with a rookie. Uh, I like the idea of Jimmy, sorry, Garoppolo coming in um, and, and being able to pick up, you know. That's better. But but let me ask you both: What if he gets cut? Do do you? I'm not interested at all. I don't care still? if he gets cut. Still, zero interest. I to me, Mac Jones was the guy. I didn't I didn't I didn't like Fields as a scheme fit. I love Trey Lance. I think he would have been a nice fit. Yeah. Obviously, Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence would have been fits. I didn't buy Fields as a fit. But I love Mac Jones as a fit. I This could not have played out any better for the Patriots, in my opinion. And, yeah, you know what? In a year from now, I might be eating the poop sandwich if Mac Jones plays next year and he doesn't look like the guy. And, and I certainly don't think we should be judging him after one season. But this idea that somehow Garoppolo was going to come in and he was going to lead them to a Super Bowl because he did it in San Francisco and he knows the system, that all sounds good. You need a long-term answer at the position. And, and Garoppolo, to me, was not a long-term answer. He would have been a short-term guy, and you would have been kicking the can down the road two or three years until you needed to find the next guy long-term. It's a league of stability at the quarterback position. If you don't have it, you don't have a chance. So, do you, well, let me ask, do you think he gets cut? Because I think if he does, what a horrific look for San Fran. No, he won't get cut. Okay. Why would he I don't get, think they cut why would he get no, cut? Trey Lance I, I is not ready either. 
listen, Trey Lance is not ready to play right now. And, right. and no one in their right mind would put him on the football field as your opening weekend starter. He's not ready. He needs to sit a year. The only way he plays there is as if Garoppolo gets hurt again. And even then, I think he would have to have a terrific camp in order for that to happen. I could see them bypassing him and going back to Mullins and starting him. Uh, he's To me, he's going to be either the third-string quarterback or he's going to be inactive most weeks. And, and that's how it should be. He needs a year, and, and I despise the term, but I'm going to use it anyway. He needs a year to marinate. He's not the guy. So the, I don't see any scenario – where they cut Garoppolo. I, let's put it this way. In my opinion, I'd be shocked. Right. So, John, John, I just got a quick follow-up question for that because I thought about this after the draft. Trey Lance has thrown 300 career passes in college, like 300, uh, give or take, and he played one game last year. And the one game he played last year, I'm not much of a Trey Lance fan. I'll start, I'll start by this just because what I see from Trey Lance is awesome, but it's the, the sample size and it's the competition and it's just the disparity level of talent between – you know, North Dakota State in their competition. And, of course, you could say the same for Zach Wilson and some of the teams they played. But Trey Lance basically sat a year last year, right, last season. I also think he needs a, a year to sit. But at that point, you're pushing off two years basically off of football for a guy who was playing much lower competition. Maybe, yeah, he has to sit and learn. And, and I wouldn't cut Jimmy G if I'm the 49ers either. Garoppolo, excuse me. Wouldn't cut Garoppolo yeah. if this I'm the 49ers either. <laughs> I wouldn't cut Garoppolo either, but in my mind, as a coach, I feel like the Niners are in a tough position and in a position that maybe they would be better off with a guy like Mac Jones. Now, these are all hypotheticals. I'm sure I'll get proven wrong, but how about Trey Lance now, if he rests the year, like you said, to marinate, now he's taken essentially taken two years off of football from when before the competition he was playing and the disparity level of talent was enormous. So I, I'm just curious of, of your thoughts on that as a coach, too, of a, of a guy who Basically, if he sits and marinates, we'll be taking about two years off of football and then going straight into straight into kind of a gauntlet of a division, too. Yeah, well, first off, I think when they made that trade up to three, they didn't have a choice. In my opinion, it was either going to be Fields or Lance. They it, Mac Jones might be more starter ready than Trey Lance, but the ceiling is just not as high as Trey Lance's. Trey Lance's ceiling could be the highest in this class. So as far as I'm concerned, when you make a trade into that spot and give up the future compensation that they gave up, you're not doing it for a guy with a limited ceiling or a guy that may have maxed out. You're doing it for a guy that has upside. And I think Lance, in this case, has the most upside. I, I think you make a valid point with the two years off, but he's young, and that's the thing. And you have the time now, especially because unless he goes out and he stinks out the joint for the three years he does start, you're going to more than likely pick up the fifth-year option on him. You have the time to give him the year to continue to develop and not rush him. You have a starter in place that can that can keep you in contention while he develops. I don't have a problem with it. Now, as far as the level of competition, look, FCS football is good football. He played better teams than people think. I think the biggest thing is, you know what? It might not stack up to Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, if the talent translates – him playing Central Arkansas isn't going to matter at the next level. But I, I, I think you bring up a valid point that it's going to be two years, and that is a long time. But I don't see any scenario where San Francisco moves on from Garoppolo, uh, and, and I don't see any scenario unless Garoppolo's hurt where Lance gets on the field. So 
That's that's my two cents on it. All right, Zach, you are a New York Giants. A New York. Whoa, wait a minute. New York Jets. Jets. My bad. My bad. Not Jets. You are a New York Jets fan. That's pretty much the whole reason we brought you on. We needed an AFC East guy to balance this Patriots love fest out that me and Stone have. Um, although Stone's affinity for BC is much greater than the Patriots. But um, Fair. in any event, we are starting our AFC East spring scouting reports, we're calling this. Uh, and our first AFC East opponent that we're going to take a look at is, in fact, your beloved New York Jets. So I'm going to give you the floor. Just give us some quick thoughts on the Jets. And then Kevin and I will give you our thoughts. And we'll move on with our lives. But what do you think of the Jets this offseason and the job they've done? Are you happy as a Jets fan? Yeah, sitting here, it's tough to it's tough to to use the word hopeful as a Jets fan. It's been a it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while since I, yeah, it's been a it's been a while since I could say that. But I mean, honestly, I, I am. I'm sitting here and I had a couple I had a couple things on my wish list. Obviously, the quarterback, I have a Sam Darnold jersey hanging in my closet still. Love the kid. Had flashes, had boneheaded plays, had flashes, boneheaded plays. So they got a second rounder, a fourth, and a sixth for him. I was hopeful for a second. So, you know, goodbye, Sam. Love you. Good luck. Hope he succeeds. But we have Carolina's second-round pick, so I kind of hope they, they crash and burn too. But um, I'm happy. My wish list was quarterback. Love Zach Wilson. Between Wilson and Fields, that was kind of most mostly the division was between Wilson and Fields. Um, as far as the Jets go, I like Wilson a lot. I think his physical tools – he can make all the throws. The ball jumps out of his hands. He's really accurate. Competition level, yeah, not so great. Um, his previous years, he was hurt. He had a decent year. Uh, his freshman year when he came in and played, beat some okay teams. So it's 50-50. Again, I think it's it's kind of a toss-up. But I think this last year, if you watch um, last season's BYU team and you watch Zach Wilson, it's impossible to ignore the type of throws that he was making. It was, it was unbelievable throwing across his body, across the field with zip, Putting it right, I, he had a couple throws where where his receivers didn't have to move. They literally they put his put their arms up and it was in the bread basket. So I love Zach Wilson. I think you start off slow with him. Uh, I'm really really happy with the Robert Sala hiring. I was kind of nervous with the head coaching uh, hire and the head coaching vacancy because of the, of the the Gase nightmare last time. Um, but love Robert Sala. Um, love Mike Lafleur coming in. I think he's hopefully going to bring over some of the 49ers concepts. A lot of zone run. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker, love that pick. Uh, Elijah Moore, love that pick too. Unbelievable route runner, really been diving into him. Played really good competition in the SEC uh, and was graded like unbelievably highly. Had one of the highest catch rates in the entire uh, country. Uh, Michael Carter, right? They got in the fourth round, the running back from UNC, one of the running backs from UNC, who again, I think is a perfect fit. I don't think they'll have to shoulder the load because they've got, they got a couple, um, they got a couple running backs in the running back room. They added Tevin Coleman. Um, and, and, and some other guys there. They have Ty Johnson and P. Ryan coming back from last year. Uh, the defense, they added Carl Lawson, right, who's the defensive end from the Bengals. He got a payday, which I'm really, really happy about because uh, Salah's defense is really reliant on edge pressure and pressure in general while rushing four. So I think they needed that. They haven't had a pure edge rusher in a long, long time. Uh, the secondary is suspect right now. Marcus May's great. Love Marcus May. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner they signed. Uh, Ashton Davis they drafted last year. So the safeties are okay. The corner room is not great. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the offseason, if I'm being honest. C.J. Mosley's coming back, who is an enormous question mark. But when he was playing, he opted out. When he was playing, he was one of, if not the best middle linebacker in the game for a couple of years. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm hopeful. 
Um, I think you need to start Zach Wilson out slow, right? I think he's the type of kid who has a lot of pressure, right? Getting drafted in New York and and, and being this, yeah, big market and being having the Jets fans there who will boo you out of the stadium in five games, which I hate. Uh, you know, it's Jets fans. Jets fans are are insufferable sometimes, but um, I think Zach Wilson, you start him out slow, you start him out with play action passes, you get the run game going, you build up his confidence. Right, you make sure that he's making those short, intermediate throws, play action, the kind of easy throws, and then you let him loose a little bit down the line. Right, Mike LaFleur, I think, is going to be good at doing that and utilizing some of the weapons. Corey Davis, I didn't even mention, who I'm a huge fan of. I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. It's about is about as positive that that as I can go. But um, having the Bills in the division, the Dolphins getting better and better, the Patriots, who will never ever go away as much as I want them to. It'll be an interesting year. It'll be it'll be a really interesting year. But again, cautiously optimistic is about as positive that I'll go. So yeah, our fans are looking forward to reading your Patriot stuff. That won't be slanted at all. <laughs> never, anyway, never, never. Completely objective. <laughs> so Gary thinks they're going to win the Super Bowl. Stone, what do you think of the Jets? So look, I think their offense is a lot better. Um, even last year, I didn't think offensively they were that bad. Um, I think they do have a lot of speed on offense as well. However, what I heard yesterday. Is the most Jets thing ever. And you mentioned Robert Sala. You know, he was talking about the first team huddle. And he said he went to go stand behind, you know, wait for the head coach to talk. And then said, oh, crap, that's me. So, look, I, I don't know how good of a head coach he's going to be. But that's not that doesn't instill very much confidence. I, I can't imagine. And, and by the way, Zach, you're going to figure out pretty quick that two things about Stone. One, he speaks in hyperbole a lot. And two, he is he he sells fast. I mean, you make you make one little mistake and your ass is down the river with him. It's yeah, over. Right. He he, right. he has a very 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 small threshold for mistakes and right. and people yeah. doing something. If you do something wrong, he's all over you like a fly on crap. Yeah, I, grew up, I grew up in the nineties around Boston sports. You can appreciate being cynical when everybody sucks. So absolutely, um, absolutely. I've never grown out of that. But, no, look, I think offensively they're going to be really good. Um, and, and I know you put some stuff up yesterday on Makai Becton. Look, if you have that guy, you always have a chance, I think, just because he can move people around when they don't want to be moved. Um, so I think they're going to be good offensively. You mentioned the defense. It's just a matter of can they slow people down. Yeah, I, I, look, I, they'll be better. I, I, I yeah. think that they – they're going to go from what they've been in recent years to potentially a 500 team. I think they'll go as Zach Wilson goes. It, it'll depend on what his learning curve is. Mm -hmm. If if he get, comes out of the gates and he's playing well and he's and he's picked up the offense and new offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur finds a way to move the pocket for him and run the football to set up their their bootleg and, and their play-action passing game, that I think he could thrive in a system like that. I think they'll be okay. They're going to be better. There's no question about that. But with that said, I still think they're the fourth best team in this division. I think Buffalo is still the best team. I think the Patriots are better than Miami and the Jets. And if the Patriots can get any kind of quarterback play, because here's the thing. I think when you go pound for pound, Patriots, Dolphins, there's no difference right now in my opinion. And I know there will be people out there that will disagree with me on this. There's no difference right now between Cam Newton and Tua Tagovailoa. And I know Tagovailoa played better at times last year and threw for more touchdown passes. I know all that. But he's got a long way to go to prove to me that he can be an elite-level starter in this league. Cam Newton, you think, should be better provided he's healthy 
and there are no physical issues, he should be better throwing the football. Because if he's not, I think he's going to have a very, very short time as the starter. I don't think that Belichick this year will hesitate to go to Mac Jones. So are the Jets better? Yes, absolutely. Zach Wilson, I think, is an upgrade over Sam Darnold. I know that the Mel Kuypers of the world don't agree with it. But I think when you look at the style of play that they're going to utilize on offense, I do think he's a better fit than Darnold. I think they'll be better defensively with Sala. But I still think you mentioned corner. That's an area of concern if I were a Jets fan. I think that their front seven is an area of concern. I like Quinn and Williams. I think he's he's really good. I think they're good down the middle. But can they generate enough edge pressure? That defense is predicated on it. Salah doesn't like to bring more than five, maybe six guys on occasion. So they're not going to blitz a ton. They're going to rely on that front four to get there. So getting pressure on the quarterback, covering, I think could still be issues for them. But I like a lot of what they've done. I think Joe Douglas is finally putting his stamp on this football team. They'll be better, but sorry, Kerry, I hate to burst your bubble. Don't make playoff plans, even with the expanded playoff. Don't make Super Bowl plans. They're still a ways away. Baby steps, baby steps, yeah. my friend. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's that's the consensus among Jets fans too. Is I mean, I mean, you guys echoed. It, no, right? it's not. you guys are thinking Super Bowl. There's no consensus. Uh, you people. Oh, wait, Super Bowl or bust. But but the the narrative so far is going to be better. I mean, we're going from two wins to hopefully more than two wins. So better, better is better is a, a short hurdle. You know, you're a real fan when you're saying we, as if you're a part of the organization. We, we, we Jets fans, us Jets fans. But I mean, the listen, only people we, that could say we, by the way, are Packers fans because they actually own the team. Right. Part, part owners. So, so we're, we're cautious. We're, we're a bit optimistic, new quarterback, exciting quarterback, but we went the first four picks this year, offense, 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 building around the quarterback, which they didn't do with Darnold. Now they're doing with Wilson. I'm hopeful. And next year, I mean, they 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 didn't draft defense till the fifth round this year, right? So next year they have two first rounders. They have two second rounders. They can load up again next year, right? I I I know that that you know I would love to love to push toward 500 this year, but they're gonna they're they're probably gonna be lower than 500. But the year after that is when you load up, right? You got two first rounders, two second rounders. I think they have two third rounders too. They, they've they've traded away a lot of assets. Jamal, I believe Adams, they have Jordan. eleven picks in next year's draft. Wow. So they they got some they got some ammo to move around if they want, and and so it's going to be a couple of years. Obviously, you know I have no, which is why I'm comfortable. You know, even if Wilson shows flashes but struggles a bit this year, if he shows that that he can be the guy and he can connect with some of the young talent they have on offense, it gets better throughout the year. I'm good. I'm cool. All right, let's switch gears here now. And speaking of quarterbacks, I want to talk a little bit about BC's Phil Jakovic. I wrote a piece about this yesterday uh, about him being a potential first rounder. And I and I think on size, talent alone, if he has a good season and decides to come out after next season, he's a first round talent. But do you guys think he's a first round talent? Do you see it like I see it? And Kevin, I want to start with you. You cover the Eagles for us. You've seen Jakovic play more than any either one of us in, in person. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you think he's a first-rounder? And what's his ceiling potentially? Can he be a top-ten pick? So, yes, and, uh, yes in terms of a first-rounder. Um, top-ten, I just think it's a little bit too early. Um, I know, you know, you do a lot of a lot of film work, so um, I, I could be very wrong about that. But No, I don't think you I are. Think that, <laughs> I think the you're biggest, not. No, I'm being serious. <laughs> I know you think that I poo-poo everything you say. No, no, I, no I, I think you're right. I, I think it is too early. So for me, I think the biggest thing for him this year is the talent around him. Um, he's going to have a chance 
to show a lot of people a lot of and put up a lot of huge numbers with the receiving core that he has. Um, so in terms of a first round pick, I don't see a reason other than health why you know he shouldn't explode this year and and build that draft stock. But um, between Flowers and CJ Lewis and and Jalen Gill and um, I'm missing a few other names there too. He should be able to put on a show this year. And we've talked about the schedule as well. There's really not that many games where, you know, they shouldn't be in it, um, whether it's a shootout or, you know, a dogfight, whatever it may be. He has a real opportunity this year to to turn a lot of heads and, and get a lot of eyes on him. So, uh, yeah, I, I think very much so. First round is in play and um, top 10, it, it shouldn't be out of the question, but uh, I, I just think it's too early for that. What do you think, Zach? Do you, do, do you think that he is a first-round pick? And if he is, do you think, based on what you know about him, do you think he could be a top-ten pick? Yeah, so I, I, I'm i uh, limited my scope on, on Dracovic, but I did, did do some research, and I know he's a transfer from Notre Dame. So I saw him play a little bit because I am a Notre Dame fan as well, speaking of getting my, getting my, oh. my heart crushed. So so I saw Dracovic a little bit and, and was impressed. It, I think he was in at the end of a game in one of the – one of the blowouts at Notre Dame. And then I was watching him a little bit today and I was honestly a little surprised. So I remember his game, BC Notre Dame game, because I thought BC was going to come in and beat them again like they did, what, five, six years ago or something when they were undefeated. And Dracovic, for a, for a big guy who kind of has like this strong frame, he moves and he escapes and yeah. is able to create things really, really well. So I, I think he has the tools, some of the throws he makes and, and his accuracy and, and, you know, throwing the ball down the field. I, I definitely think he has the tools. Uh, but again, I, I think that it's going to be dependent on a couple of things, right? Like, like Kevin mentioned health, right? Staying healthy, obviously, um, receiving core. And then I think he has the potential because the ACC, I wouldn't say it's weak this year, but like Clemson is obviously a question mark, which will be down the road, but they got some games and the ACC is always like, at least consistently competitive, right? They might not have, right. you know, like the SEC yeah. teams that are, that are going to be, you know, across the board, top teams. But I think this year there, there might be a bit of an opening for them and an opening for him to showcase, right? You string a few wins together early on and he can come out and showcase right on the national stage of what he has. So I, I think he can. I mean, top 10, it's hard to tell. I don't love this quarterback class. So I think that he has a potential to kind of like, uh, you know, vault himself up a little bit. I mean, Howell obviously is pretty good. Uh, the kid from Cincinnati's good. Rattler's good right there at the top. But they have that one more year to prove, you know, that they have that that full package that NFL teams are looking for, and I also think that top ten is a, is a uh, you know a chance for him because every every single draft, even when it's a weak quarterback class, right? No quarterbacks are going to go in the top five this year. You know, it's a it's a weak quarterback class leading up to every draft, right? Quarterbacks just drip and fall down the board to that top five, top ten. So because you know teams are going to be quarterback needy, right? Say the Texans are the worst team in the league again; they got the number one pick. Right. Who, who's to say they won't go for a quarterback? This is Dracovic. I'm not sure. Right. I think he has uh, one more layer to prove. I think he has all the physical tools. I think he can make the throws. I was surprised by how nimble and, and how you know good a feed he had in the pocket. So I guess I guess he'll take one more year to, to try and prove it. But I think he'll definitely have the chance to. And it's not out of the question for me. Yeah, no, I, I don't. In fact, in the piece that I wrote, I, I think from a physical standpoint, he's a top 10 pick all day. I think what it comes down to is is can he take that next step? And I think it's a lot of it for him is going to be decision-making. Their schedule is going to be easier. Yeah. So he's going to have games where he can put up big numbers and really impress. Look, there's a lot to like. 6'5", 226, 
really athletic in and out of the pocket, plus arm strength. He has vertical accuracy, really can locate the deep ball, struggles a little bit locating the short and intermediate stuff at times, and the decision-making is an issue. Sometimes he does try to, to force sand up a flea's ass, and he tries to fit certain balls in certain areas he shouldn't, but he can he can fix that. Frank Signetti can work with him. BC's offensive coordinator, quarterback's coach, and they can fix that. So that's more than fixable. I think when you look at that quarterback class next year, it's not going to be as good at the top as this one was, but it's going to be a much deeper class. Now, everybody and their mother loves Howell and Rattler, who I'm not a big fan of. Everybody loves those guys. But to, to me, I think it's going to be that next tier of quarterbacks that I think might be better pro fits, if you will, better NFL fits, than, than a Spencer Rattler. And that's, you mentioned Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati, Carson Strong at Nevada, Phil Jakovic at Boston College. These are guys, especially Strong and Jakovic, if they put it together and have big years statistically, teams are going to look at them and they're going to look at them and, and they're going to start to comp them out to guys like Josh Allen. And when that happens, and let's not forget, Josh Allen had a, had a good career at Wyoming had some accuracy issues, completed less than 60% of his passes, but it didn't matter because people saw that plus size, plus arm strength with that athleticism. It was too much to pass up. And when I look at Phil Jakovic, I see a lot of Josh Allen in that regard. He's not the athlete that Allen is, but he's he's a pretty good improviser. He can expand the pocket in and out. He can make plays happen. He can get you into the scramble drill. I think that that's a top 10 skill set. And I think teams – when they look at what they want out of that position, they would rather take their chances with a guy like Phil Jakovic because he checks off so many boxes physically than to take their chances with a guy like a Spencer Rattler who doesn't necessarily check off some boxes physically. So, again, I think we've got an entire year to talk about this, but I, I really truly believe that if he puts it all together this year and he has the kind of season that we think he's going to have potentially and they have collectively the kind of season – that we think they can have given their schedule. I don't see any reason why he doesn't come out after next year and, and he doesn't position himself to be a top 10 pick. Now, speaking of Boston College, a lot of movement this offseason up at the Heights. I wrote about that this weekend as well. You've had, as usual, Jeff Halfley in his second year had a handful of transfers come in. They're going to make an impact, most notably uh, Alex Sinkfield, the running back out of West Virginia, but there's also a lot of departures. The most notable departure, of course, is running back David Bailey. But, Kevin, I'm going to start with you here. Why do you think you've had so many guys leave the program? I mean, we're talking about an era of Boston College football where, you know, hashtag get in, and everybody should want to be a part of it. And the program is starting to build the national profile again. Why are guys leaving at, at such a large number? So I think you kind of hit on it right there. They're getting so much talent that the other guys are just seeing the writing on the wall and and kind of realizing, look, there's really not a not a spot for me here. Um, and, and we were talking before the show. You brought up um, Steve Adazio guys, and uh, that makes a lot of sense as well. You know, if I'm recruited by a certain guy and and I know I'm not going to be playing for the new guy, well, I'm probably going to reach out to the older the older coach that knows me and and see what happens. So um, I, I think for all the the praise and accolades that we've been giving them for recruiting, it's hurting some other guys on, you know, the bottom of the depth chart just because they see that their, their time is up. Um, so I think it's, it's more to do with the success and, and um, the, the well-established kind of recruiting trail that they've built 
Um, there's just not enough room for everybody. No, I think you, you bring up a great point. And I, and I think that that, in my opinion, is the biggest reason why I think you're seeing a lot of these guys leave the program this offseason. I mean, when you look at the guys they brought in, I, meant, I mentioned Alex Sinkfield, the running back out of West Virginia. They bring in uh, Jake Busco from UMass, defensive end from UMass, mm -hmm. highly productive player. He's going to do a graduate year there. I think he's going to be terrific for them. Chris Banks, D-tackle out of Temple. And, and the guy that I think could be their biggest transfer addition, uh, Jaden Lars Woodley, a safety out of Florida State. So yeah. they've added a lot of talent this offseason. They've lost a lot of guys. But, Zach, I'm going to ask you, you've played college football. Why would a guy decide to enter the transfer portal and leave? If, let's say, hypothetically, they see guys entering the program through the transfer portal, what would prompt a guy to say, you know what, I'm not going to stick around here and try to compete I'm going to try to go somewhere else where I think I have a better shot because it is important to know the transfer portal is a real crapshoot. Just because you enter it doesn't mean you're going to end up in another Division One Power Five program. You may be sitting there for a while before you get an offer or a coach that reaches out to you to play for them. But, but take us into the mindset of a player, Zach. Why would they make a decision like this to leave a program? Yeah, well, I think you guys mentioned it, uh, you know, a couple of reasons, and, and I think it might lead to kind of an overcorrection. So I think that it could be right a playing time thing. I'm not getting an opportunity here. I'm going to jump to a different college to maybe get some more playing time or these coaches. And it might be kind of an ego thing, or it might be kind of a, these coaches don't realize, you know, what they have. I got this talent, but I, I think that it might lead to an overcorrection. And what I'm saying is kind of your, to your point, John, is like, who's to say, right? If you went to the transfer portal, that you're going to get snatched up by the perfect coaching staff, the perfect fit, the perfect location. And you're going to go in and play and be a superstar. Like you think you are, when in reality, right, you could be sitting there. You could end up at a, at a school that, that you don't even, you know, realize might be worse off for you. So I think it could be a lot of reasons. I think it could be, you know, disagreements among uh, coaches. I mean, a new coaching staff possibly. Uh, so there's a lot of different reasons. I know, you know, we had guys, we had a, we had a, um, and this was a kind of a, a different reason. We had a, a defensive end that came in to Bridgewater, right? I played at Bridgewater State, uh, who was at Auburn, right? He was at Auburn University. He was like, 29 years old when he came and played for us, but he hated the coaches, hated the division one lifestyle. So that's kind of different moving from, from division to division. But I think it's, I think it's kind of dependent on the guy and dependent on the program. And if there's like coaching turnover or something like that, or a coach that recruited you, that's no longer there that maybe you had a relationship with. And that's probably a, a main contributing factor, but it could be a lot of different things and it could just be, you know, location for a lot of people, right? A kid's homesick. That's another opportunity for a coach from a different school to say, Hey, come home, right? Live, live at home, live closer to home, come play for us, come play here. And it's, it's, I think it's going to become sort of a pseudo free agency type of thing. So I, I, I think from a player's perspective, it could be a lot of different things, but I think this is, you might see it, you might see an overcorrection or, or a, a return back to maybe the median of like guys understanding that that's not the, the end all be all or, or going to, you know, fix your situation right away just because you enter the transfer portal. Cause like you said, it's kind of just a pool, right? You could be sitting there. Yeah, and, and I think part of it is a lot of the guys that have left the program were recruited by the previous staff, and I think that they feel that, you know what, I don't fit here schematically. I don't fit the way they want to play. They're bringing in other people. They're not realistically going to give me that opportunity, so I'm going to go somewhere else. And, you know, there is going to be one of these transfers that's leaving the program that is, in fact, going to join Steve Adazio at Colorado State, and that's quarterback Matt Vallecci. But Outside of him, you know, David Bailey's a guy that I thought might make the move to Colorado State. Of course, last offseason when, when Anthony Brown announced he was entering the transfer portal, 
we thought he might be a guy that could potentially go out to Colorado State with Ozio. But oftentimes, I think what it comes down to is you look at the situation, you say to yourself, look, as much as I'd love to get this degree, it just doesn't work for me here. I need to go somewhere where I can play more and validate being a Division One football player. And it's a it's a catch-22. They're going to be guys that as soon as they hit the portal, coaches are going to call them. They're going to try to get them into their program. And then they're going to be other guys that, you know, in the case of David Bailey, he's the highest-profile guy from Boston College to enter the portal this offseason. He hasn't committed anywhere yet. He's still out there. So uh, I, I think it, it depends on the guy. It depends on the situation. It depends what some of these Power 5 programs need. You know, look – Oftentimes, your, your your blue bloods, they're not really tapping into the transfer portal. It's programs like BC that want to take that next step up, that want that immediate talent infusion. Those are the programs that are taking advantage of the transfer portal these days. And so it, I just find it interesting. You know, one of the things I talked about in my piece was that it's, it's kind of a, it's a two-way highway now. Guys are coming in, guys are going out. A lot of movement. It'll be interesting to see if that continues, certainly from Jeff Halfley's standpoint, this is what helps you build a successful program. The guys that they brought in this offseason, especially a guy like Sinkfield, he's going to help you win football games. And so I think that that's a big part of it. All right, final topic here, guys, is and when I want to wrap up the show with this. It's it's our, uh, our two-minute drive here, if you will, or our two-minute offense, whatever the hell we, we used to call this thing. Um, club football, it, it, it's a – Big topic around here now with the formation of the Elite League or the League, which is a part of the Elite Football Camps, which is John Pappas's operation. My question to you guys is, can club or AAU football be a good thing? Can it work? Because we, we've seen what it is in other sports. We've seen what it is in baseball and basketball. We've seen travel hockey. We've seen travel lacrosse. And, and you got all these different lacrosse organizations that play all summer. But can this work long-term in football? Zach, I'm going to start with you. Uh, long-term, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, it, it has its positives and negatives. I know certainly if if that was an option when I was in high school, I, I would have taken advantage of it. But uh, there are a lot of different factors, right? A lot of coaches like multi-sport athletes. A lot of uh, – I know um, our coach, uh, Sean Goff, was telling me how he likes hockey players for certain things and toughness and athleticism and guys who play lacrosse or guys who are basketball players, right, to do different things. So I think it could be a good thing in terms of, like, I was always looking to – I was doing seven-on-sevens, and I was an offensive and defensive lineman. I was doing seven-on-sevens playing tight ends. I just wanted, I just wanted to play football. Right. Um, and it's also another way for a kid who's getting recruited or a kid who maybe wants to get recruited to work with different coaches, to run different drills, to do stuff like that and, and maybe be able to showcase uh, their talent if they're on a lesser team or if they're on, in a, you know, buried in a division seven. I don't even know how many divisions Massachusetts has anymore. They're buried on one of those teams right down the bottom that they could. Eight. We uh, have eight now. Eight divisions now. Eight divisions. I played in like I don't even know. I played in division oh, five. We've had eight divisions, but. Yeah, so I, I think it's a good opportunity for a lot of kids that, you know, might want to do that year round. But I also think it would lead to, you know, something like AAU basketball where kids are just specialized, right? You're just a basketball player and you're playing basketball in the spring and in the summer and in the winter, they'll come up with something. And I could also, you know, for your high school uh, lead to lead to something like, you know, an injury in the offseason. And then normally, right, you get injured at the end of the year and it's a six month recovery. You're good to go for next year. But, hey, I was playing spring league. And you know you're 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 hurting your teammates or your coaches from from your high school team, right? From your from your town team. So I think there are negatives and positives. Long term, I guess we'll have to wait and see 
uh, and see how things pan out. But um, from my perspective, I, I know I would have loved to take advantage of it, and I'm sure kids are, are chopping at the bit to, to join up. Kevin, what do you think? Is this something that could be good for football? I mean, you're a lacrosse guy. You've you've covered lacrosse for a long time. You've seen it happen in lacrosse. Is this something that uh, can work in football? So I do, but only if it's done right. And, you know, Zach brought up the AAU culture and all that. And we talked last week about the injuries, you know, that teams dealt with this year. Um, I know you guys at King Philip dealt with a big one. So, look, the injuries are always going to be an issue, and, and coaches are always going to worry about it. But I actually asked Coach Halfley uh, and Coach Jesse from Holy Cross about this league um, the last two times I talked to them. Both of them loved the idea. Um, both of them just advocated, you know, the more live football, the better for kids. And um, especially now with so many kids missing out on recruiting opportunities, look, it's a whole nother, um, a whole nother way for, for coaching staffs to get film and um, to scout some kids and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge opportunity, but only if it's done right. And again, um, you're always going to have the injuries out of season with kids doing camps and that kind of stuff too. So, uh, if done right, yeah, I think it can work. And uh, I think a lot of the uh, the local college coaches are actually really in favor of it as well. Yeah, I think that's the key. If it's done right, I think that there are going to be pitfalls, though. I think for one, the majority of the kids that are playing in this league this year are private school kids or ISL kids, and the reason yeah. they're playing in it is because their season got canceled. So it gave them an opportunity to play. Uh, you're going to have to upsell this to the other to the public school coaches. I think public school coaches, and I said this to Coach Pappas when I had him on the coaches chat. I think you're going to have to upsell this to public school coaches because there are going to be public school coaches out there that are going to look at this and they're going to say, if my players play in this league, I stand a chance of losing them to an ISL school. That's going to be a stigma that's going to be attached with this league, whether the, the people that are running their, this league like it or not. And they're going to have to prove to people that this is a fair operation where people are coming in to play more football. And I and I think Coach Pappas can do that. Uh, I think the other thing to look at here is just how is it going to con how is it going to conflict with Spring sports, I mean, you know, again, it, it's going to lead to more specialization. And I think that we've moved away from that in high school sports, right? That we're pushing yeah. the three-sport athlete, which I, I feel like we've always pushed the three-sport athlete. I don't think that this is a, a new thing. But because there is so much specialization today, I think a league like this could lead to more of it. You know, Zach mentioned basketball. Look, AAU basketball is a big business. And so that – and and. More often than not, that's who the Blue Bloods in college basketball are, are tapping into to recruit their high-end talent now is, is these AAU programs and those AAU coaches. And so I think it can work. I think it's a good thing. I don't think kids up here that have aspirations of being Division One football players play enough football, particularly in the ISL. So this will be an opportunity for them to play more football and, and to gain more attention, notoriety, and, and more exposure but again, I do think that there's some things there that need to be worked around because I think that this can work, but it's only going to work if kids participate. I think there's going to have to be some soothing of egos there by by Coach Pappas and, and his group. And I think that there's going to have to be some trust and some confidence that's going to need to be established. But I also think that in as far as I'm concerned, I think the bigger issue here could be with the MIA and spring sports. That's where I think it gets dicey, especially with the bonafide team rule, where if a kid's playing, let's say, lacrosse six days a week, and then all of a sudden on Sundays playing in this in, in the league, 
that that's a slippery slope. You got to be careful with that. And no matter how people associated with the league want to package it, that could become an issue. So we shall see. Well, gentlemen, this was fun. This was a lot of fun. Zach, I want to say thank you for taking the time to uh, join us. Welcome on board. We're pumped to have you. You're a good addition. Um, we're excited to have you on board, and we think you can bring a lot to our content. Um, Kevin, it's always good to see you, even though you were, you know, you know, tongue bathing Garoppolo for a good portion of the show tonight. Um, yeah, I know, but he's not coming. So just, I just want to tell you in advance, get over it. But in all seriousness, as always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find Zach at Zach Carey 12. You can find Kevin at K stone 06, and you can find my, Big ass mouth at UFTBJ. For Zach Carey and Kevin Stone, I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, peace. See ya.